torn, but my co-host, <coughs> excuse me, my co-host, Kersey. Hello, Kersey. Hey, what's up? Um, you know, it was, you and I had discussed doing this last year, and, I, and we kind of put it off uh, until this year, and I never knew where it belonged because in the minds of a lot of the critics, uh, they see this as trash. And, you know, a lot of the younger guys watching these movies now, they probably see it as cheesy. But for anybody, I would say 25 to 50, you know, this was the shit for them. This was one of the greatest horror franchises of all time. So I'm torn on this being a trash cinema episode, but here we go. I mean, if we if we were just strictly talking about the first one, it probably doesn't belong here, but the other ones definitely do. Yeah, you know, they're a little bit uh, in the first movie where it hasn't aged well, but it's it's a scary movie. It's a creative movie. And I think it's that so many movies have ripped off the franchise, especially Freddy himself by just being the wise-ass, fast-talking kind of villain, that it seems like it's old hat. Like, oh, what's so great about this franchise if you were to watch it for the first time now? Um, but I think you have to take in perspective of what it did for horror. It changed everything. It became a, a new standard in horror. Yeah, it definitely uh, increased the sort of abstract element to a lot of horror movies, which uh, still try to use some of those elements to this day. Yeah, the rubber reality, I think, is what yeah. they coined for the franchise. And before this, it was basically either straight-up monsters, you know, your, your classic vampire, werewolf, uh, zombies, and stuff like that, or it was the slashers. And this uh, not only built a huge mythology... Um, you know, in, in the way that those classic monsters do, but it also, like, took the slasher genre in a whole different direction. Yeah, um, it, and it's it's interesting that, you know, you were saying earlier that it's one of those that seems kind of old hat and uh, to, to people nowadays, but it, it still has enduring power that a lot of horror movies don't, especially from that time period. Yeah. Um, it, it's, still, it, it's still being referenced to this day, Um like Rick and Morty is probably the most recent reference um, that they've had to it. So uh, there, there's still uh, an enduring uh, love of this movie, <clears throat> or at least this this franchise that goes on to this day. Yeah, what I think is, uh, I don't think there'd be a child's play. There wouldn't be a Doctor Giggles, a brain scan, um, any wise ass kind of one liner villain at this time. Phantasm two. It was always a strange franchise in the first place, but part two changes, like, even the special effects um, were advanced so highly by this series that other horror movies started, like, trying to up their A-game, trying to beat the Nightmare on Elm Street on, like, new imaginative ways of, like, kills and gore and special effects and just crazy creatures. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street's also a series that kind of uh, takes a lot of its competition and uh, tries to keep upping itself which is evident with every movie progressively gets uh starts going deeper and deeper into the dream aspect or the more abstract element of its concept the uh the first one of course is a movie that Wes Craven fought to get made for years New Line Cinema ponying up the cash who only I think at this time had two hits under their belt um it was uh Evil Dead and the uh, a polyester, I think it was the polyester pink flamingos. New Line Cinema had released, and, and you know they used that little cash they got from those films, and used it to fund uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. If Nightmare on Elm Street had bombed, uh, New Line Cinema wouldn't even be a thing. 
Yeah, so if you're ever watching Blade or Blade 2, you can thank Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> yeah, you can think, and I think it's funny, after Nightmare on Elm Street made a decent amount of cash, you know, they started going wild with all the horror and sci-fi films. You wouldn't have had uh, Critters, uh, My Demon Lover, The Hidden, you know, all sorts of stuff around that time period that was funded by these Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles would not be possible if Nightmare on Elm Street 4 had made so much money. Yeah, so whether or not you're a fan of horror, it did um, it, it did basically create your childhood. The uh, the first one, I believe, uh, is a solid film all around. It still has a lot of creepy shit going on. The special effects, as tightly as that budget was, man, they really use it well. Uh, well, there there is you know a, a part that sticks out like a sore thumb in comparison to everything else, which of course is the the end scare when you know Freddy's. I mean, spoilers, but whatever. You know, uh, Freddy's still alive and grabs, uh, you know, the main character's mom and pulls her through the window and it's like a blow-up doll. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I mean, other other than that, it was it's an all-around great movie. Uh, the second one is the weird one. Now, a lot of people don't like this one and a lot of people think it kind of like almost, you know, killed the franchise. But I actually, the more I watch part two, the more interesting it gets. I, I love it and it's also... The most unintentionally gay movie I've ever seen. Oh, no, it's intentional. It's totally intentional. The writer <laughs> knew exactly what he was doing. Only thing is that I think the head of New Line had no idea what was going on. <laughs> yeah, there's some weird gay bondage stuff in that movie, but it just kind of, it kind of makes it better in, in a weird way. Yeah, well, it's uh, I think it's funny. Is like the first time I ever heard the words leather daddy. I'm like, what the hell is a leather daddy? What does that even mean? <laughs> Yeah, the second one is interesting for me. It's one that I kind of go back to a lot more often than the other ones. There, there's some weird elements to it that I, I kind of just need to see again to sort of kind of get like the weird sort of... They, they, the second one tried to capture more of that weird ethereal sort of dreamscape idea, but also putting it in the real world context. So there's a lot of sort of daydreaming or um, sleepwalking kind of parts to it where the character kind of goes to weird places that don't really seem to make sense, like that bar. I don't remember why he went there. There really wasn't a reason where he met his gay gym teacher. Yeah. There's just weird parts to it. I kind of, I kind of like, there's some, there's something about it that it kind of keeps me going back to it. The, there's a sequence in there where he's trying to explain, it feels like a metaphor for, to be truthfully honest, it feels like a metaphor for rape. Uh, where it's like yeah. he's trying to explain to his girlfriend that he's a part of me, he's inside of me, I can't fight him off, he's taking over. And that, and it's also, it also be a metaphor for just people who are hiding, like, you know, the way Jeffrey Dahmer was. I didn't mean to pick a guy who actually had sex with men. Uh, just anybody who's hiding, like, this dark side of them and they're unleashing it. You know, Freddy captures <laughs> that. You know, I love the part where he's like, you've got the body. <laughs> guy got the brain. <laughs> <laughs> It peels back to the part of his head. I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah, yeah, I'm not that smart, guys. Well, I'm not that smart. I don't. I had an idea, and it just kind of flew away. Uh, that's all right. I mean, that's kind of this whole series in a nutshell. Kind of an idea that just kind of got away from us. The second one, if I remember correctly, this is the one where they tried to get a stand-in for Robert England because he wasn't available very often uh, because he was still shooting the TV show V. And um, so they just tried to do like preliminary shots to him and then just do all the fillers. But the guy kept lumbering around like Frankenstein and just they could not get him to look like Robert England. So they had to delay it and then shoot everything at the end. But this one really doesn't have a whole lot of Freddy in it. Yeah, that's another thing about it that's interesting is that for such an iconic 
uh, you know, horror icon. He's barely in the movie at all. It's just, it's more about sort of the the developing, breaking psyche of this kid who's infected by him. Yeah, I I, I think the less you see, the better. He's kind of like the shark in Jaws. You don't want him all the time because it diminishes how scary he is. And he only has a couple one-liners. And when you do see Freddy, he's kind of in the shadows until the very end. Yeah, and and, it, it, and that is also one of the better uh, finales where he basically comes to life, you know, in the real world and just starts slashing teens at a party, yeah. which was badass. The the third one, I think. Oh, I want to say real quick, uh, his friend Robert Russler, uh, you know, like the kind of uh, 50s greaser kind of guy. Uh, he's actually from my hometown. Yeah. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah, he, uh, I went to school with his cousin. She told me who he was. And I was like, I don't know who that is. And then she said all the movies he was in. I go, oh, no, I totally know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I guess over the years, the second one has, has garnered a, a cult following and been more respected. But it's funny to see that how the box office had kind of dropped for the second one. And, you know, New Line Cinema decided instead of, back then, sequels, they would drop the budget with each entry. And you could see diminishing returns. But three, they decide, you know what, let's go full bonkers with this one. Let's bring Wes Craven back. Let's let's realign three with part one. Let's make this a special effects showcase. And I'm still, to this day, shocked that the budget was only like $5 million. Yeah, it's it's probably the best looking one of all of them, too. It's just a bonanza of special effects and new ideas and, and ways to take the dream world. And the fact that the kids are not, like, shrieking villains. They remembered how people loved Nancy in the first one, where she decided, you know, become kind of like uh, a MacGyver of sorts with weaponry. Yeah. Uh, turning all those kids into, like, superheroes. What's that? Yeah, she was a psychologist. Where, like, the, the effects of the first movie did kind of change the course of someone else's life. And uh, it was interesting to see her come back and how... You know, she would help us. And John Saxon comes back, who he's great in the first one as well. Um, I feel did Nancy die at the end of the third one? Uh, you know, I don't really remember. I feel stupid. It's, now. it's weird. Like the 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 end of each movie sort of escapes me, except for the first one. Yeah, and, and the fourth one because that one sucked too. The fourth one. Oh, okay. So Let's the wait, third because that's like the worst. Uh, here's the thing: is that. Part three was the big one that saved the franchise. It, it made a ton of money. I think it made like $44 million. And everybody started talking about Freddy. Part three is yeah, the Yeah, that's the one they... Go ahead. Yeah, that's like the one that everyone knows, or I mean, other than the first one, because that's the one where he has all of the one-liners. He does the, you know, weird uh, pop cultural references in there. It, you know, they, they try... They, it's much more accessible than the other one. Yeah, it's it's more populous, but it's not scary. It's just a, an eye candy movie. It is an exciting idea, but I no longer fear Freddy. And this is where Freddy kind of went off the tipping point. This is when he started showing up on toys, tons of merch. He started doing the TV show. Did you ever watch this show? No, I didn't watch the TV. What? There was a TV show? You didn't? Oh my god! There's. It was called Freddy's Nightmares. It was a syndicated TV show. It was only on for one season. It cost. Way more in the beginning than they ended, because turns out a lot of TV stations did not want to carry an R-rated, well, basically R-rated, uh, TV show. And, they, and if they did, they'd only show it late at night, like against Saturday Night Live. And so it did not do very well. Yeah. But Freddy is in uh, every episode. Yeah. Unlike the Jason or the Friday the 13th TV show, Jason never shows up. Huh. And I knew about that one, but I never watched. Um, there's, something, there's something about trying to turn an R-rated... Move, you know, movie into a series on basic cable that just 
doesn't sound good. It's like the Toxic Avenger <laughs> cartoon. It just didn't work. Yeah, yeah. I know some people who would argue that, uh, but I, I agree with you. Uh, Toxic Crusaders has none of the bite, as the satire, the the grossness of the movies. Right. Yeah. The so the fourth one. I, I do. Oh, go ahead. Well, uh, yeah. Just quickly though, uh, I think that each movie did try to uh, tried adding new elements and tried to make each movie a little bit different than the other one. So I really respect. Uh, the creativity of taking that initial concept and then just trying to expand and see where the boundaries are for this character. And the fourth one is really where they kind of drop the ball. And that sort of set the tone for the the, la- the remaining movie. Yeah, I cannot believe that part four is the biggest hit of them all. And I'm going to guess it's because of the, uh, the heat off of part three. This is back when you got horror sequels every single year. I know it's not a it's not an old concept. I mean, they did that with Saw and the Paranormal Activity movies. But every single year, you could count on one Freddy movie and one Jason movie, and sometimes a Michael Myers movie. And um, fifty million dollars is nothing today, but for a small studio, uh, you know, doing a horror film, that was huge. It was big. That's like you know Halloween money. You know that first entry. And this is when Freddy just too big, too saturated. And I think the part four is so boring. I could barely make it through the first hour. Those kids are terrible. It's it's definitely the worst one. And I know that, you know, like five through eight is also pretty bad. But I, it, this one to me is, it's, yeah, it's just the boring factor. They don't really do anything interesting with the dreamscape stuff because we've seen it before and we've seen it done better. So it, it, you can't really win us over in the special effects department and the characters are bland. And they, they tried adding one new concept, which was in the Dream Warriors, which was number three, uh, each kid in their own dreamscapes have their own abilities and powers. And then uh, one of the characters has the ability to pull people in and out of dreams. Or they can she can connect people to other dreams. And then it's the same character, and, and this one is the main character, and she has the ability to absorb other people's powers. Which is kind of an interesting idea. But it's just so boring that it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's shocking that the people who wrote and directed... Okay, so part three, um, written and directed by Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont. Both guys went on to much better films. But you can see all that creative energy in part three. And you look at part four, and it's Rennie Harlan and Brian Helgeland. Brian Helgeland is an amazing writer, but clearly there's nothing on the page. Oh, and by the way, the guy who co-scripted the story, not the screenplay, but the story, is also the guy who wrote Walter the Farting Dog. (laughs) It's always weird to me to see people, uh, writers go from genre to genre and they just work. And uh, Rennie Harlan, of course, being like the most, one of the most prolific hacks out there. I mean, he was Michael Bay before Michael Bay. I think the only thing that he did that truly excites me and is still kind of trashy is Long Kiss Goodnight. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, it's fun, but there's some stuff in there you're like, what? That's crazy. But I think that's more Shane Black than Rennie Harlan because Rennie Harlan's never showed that kind of talent. Um, I disagree with you, though. I think the further entries in the series are um, much better than um, I expected, especially Part 7. The New Nightmare is a phenomenal film. I, I enjoy 6. Five is troubled because it's so insanely dark, but I think it also steers it in the right direction because part four is clearly populist entertainment. It's uh, by the numbers. The studio clearly had a heavy hand in whatever was going on. There's, and then you said like there's nothing unique with the special effects. And what pisses me off most about horror sequels 
is, oh, this person survived the last film. We're going to kill him off in the very beginning of this film. It's like a big fuck you to everybody who, who um, was cheering them on. Which is basically the Friday the 13th mantra, at least for the first four movies or yeah. so. And Maniac Cop. I don't know if you've ever seen those films, but Maniac Cop 2. Oh, oh yeah. That was Bruce Campbell, wasn't it? Yes, they kill the two stars that survive part one. They kill them in the first ten minutes. I'm like, son of a bitch. Why? Just leave them alone. Leave them out of the story, man. If you're going to go on this yeah. journey, do it like the way they did in Final Destination 2. Um, I can't remember her name. You know the one from Heroes? She survived part one. And then she survives almost all of part two, and she sacrifices herself at the end. That's noble. That's heroic. They never do that in horror. Drives me crazy. Yeah. I mean, at least with, uh, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Nancy comes back, but there, she has more character and there's more development and there's a different part of her that is that, that they expand upon that's not just, oh, isn't it great we got the star back from the other movie? Yeah. And plus, I still find that the three kids who survive Part 3 are the dullest of all of the characters. You're like, really? Are those yeah. the survivors? Damn it. Well, uh, you actually made a mistake earlier. You said that number seven was New Nightmare. That's actually number eight. Number seven was the one with his daughter. Remember that one? Hold on. Okay. Four is Dream Master. Five is Dream Child. Six is Freddy's Dead. Seven's New Nightmare. Wait, which one's number eight then? Number eight's Jason versus Freddy. Oh, that's right. I, I, was, I, I thought that was number nine. Okay, yeah, you're right. All right. So I think that brings us to the end of this episode. I really didn't think we could talk about it for like 20 minutes, but... This is how we do our episodes. I don't like these long, long, dragged-out conversations. Um, but is there anything else you want to say about the first four before we go? Uh, let's see. I would say that, I mean, most people have probably seen the first one, so there's really no need to sort of expand on that. I think number two is sort of an underrated um, one that I would probably recommend, and I would definitely recommend number three, but I would skip number four. Yeah, four is such filler. It's like they just need, you know, it's the way it is with movies now. Oh, we have a place on our schedule we need to fill. What do you got? And they're like, uh, well, we can either go with Critters 2 or Nightmare on Elm Street 4. I'm like, well, Nightmare on Elm Street 4 clearly is the moneymaker. Um, I'm going to say this. They yeah. should have gone with Critters 2. It's a better film. Definitely. I mean, at least um, the, the special effects, they, they, they kind of realized what worked with number four, or at least what they could fix with number four, which is, you know, if you're not going to make anything different or if you're not going to add new elements, at least just make the deaths entertaining, which they definitely were in the last. The special effects by Screaming Mad George, uh, he has two sequences, as far as I can tell, in uh, The Dream Master, which are astounding. One is the girl who turns into a cockroach, uh, and the second one is the end when all the bodies are coming out of him, they're grabbing them and tearing them apart. Wait, which one is that? That's at the end of four, Dream Master. Oh my god, like... I remember that, that that one's just so forgettable. I remember that, like, the end, it takes place in a church and that she has, like, kung fu powers for some yeah. reason. That's, like, all <laughs> I can remember about the end. <laughs> yeah, and I think 4, four is a little flimsy with what's real and what's not real. It, it, I cannot figure out at times where it... I don't even think it knows. Um, what are the rules in the dream world and what are the rules in the real world? And Freddy is not supposed to have any powers whatsoever in our world. He's only supposed to have them in the dream world. And part four kind of confuses that a bit. Yeah, and that's uh, an element that we're definitely going to talk about in part two. Because in the Freddy vs. Jason, they just got that element so right. And that's at least, that's probably one of the highlights of the movie. Is like their adherence to the rules of the dream world and the real world. Yeah, you can be as fantastic as you want to be. 
But once you lay the groundwork on the rules of your mythology, you gotta stick to them, unless there's a logical reason to bend it. I cannot stand movies that just arbitrarily decide, well, yes, we said this in the previous ones, but fuck it, we don't care, you know? It's no respect to the viewer. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. All right. All right, speaking of, let's play a little bit of Dawkins Dream Warriors. This is when heavy metal was so big. Hair metal. I had a friend who had this album, and he loved it. It's okay. I don't think it's that great. But this is a good song. Fuck, this is a long intro, buddy. <laughs> My God. Come on, kick ass now. Here we go. So we left off, uh, we did the first four movies, we are now back with uh, episode five, episode five, sorry, uh, what would you call it, it's just movie five, part five? I call it skippable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Dream Child is, I think, better than Dream Master, but it also is dragged down into boredom city with bland actors effects that could use some serious work the effects this time i think are the physical effects are worse than part four and yeah the, the, the optical effects are decent yeah definitely see the thing that i really enjoy about the nightmare and elm street movies is that they always try to add a little bit of something new like they try to put a new twist on it so like in the first one you know killer attacks in your dreams you can pull him out if you grab him. The second movie, you try it a little bit differently where he can use people as a vessel to get into the real world. So every movie tries something a little bit different. Um, this one, not really tried anything different. They tried to expand the mythos of Freddy, but I think that kind of takes away from what he was. Like, now all of a sudden, he's a baby demon or something. Yeah. It, it's just, there's so much weird... It, there's, there's, there's a lot wrong with this movie. They kind of take it in the wrong direction. I like the director himself. He's done some great movies. Uh, Judgment Night being one of the finest movies that nobody has apparently ever seen. Uh, Stephen Hopkins. Um, this is one of his first like breakthrough films. There's a lot of good visual style to it, but it never really gels. It's a shock that Stephen Hopkins and Rennie Harlan, who did Part 4, had such huge careers when those, I think, are the two weakest entries in the entire franchise. Uh, yeah, 100% agree. I mean, they're, like you said, it's not as bad as the fourth one. I would say if you're desperate for a horror movie, this is passable. But, I mean, other 
other than being desperate, there's really no reason to watch it. They explain a little bit of his backstory, just a little bit. That's how the kind of film opens with the Son of a Thousand Bastards, is that his mother was caught in this asylum overnight, and they did horrible things to her. Uh, I don't know if it's to elicit sympathy for Freddy Krueger. I'm not sure what they were doing, but this is when Freddy Krueger became the full-blown pop culture joke machine, which would be a problem, I think, in part six. Um, I'd also just, I'd I'd like to point out something, though, because at the beginning of the movie when they're showing the nun who is basically being molested and raped by all the inmates, one of those inmates is Freddy Krueger himself. Yeah, I thought that was strange. What was that about? I don't know. Was that his actual dad, or was that him raping his own mom? I don't know what's going on, but it's a little weird. Yeah, I, 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 the the fear factor comes up a little bit. Like, you know, you and I discussed, the first two movies were actually scary. The third one starts to play with the jokiness a little bit, but he's still an effective villain. It's four and five when he becomes like the, the okay, let's find stupid puns. But I think the director kind of made the tone a little bit darker, a little creepier. He tried to bring it back in that direction. But I feel like New Line Cinema probably stepped in and said, hey, the fans don't want this scary stuff anymore. They want wild, crazy uh, effects and lots of jokes. Uh, I especially like the part with the, the, the heads of the people he killed coming out of his back, like pulling him into the into his locked room or whatever. I, I really enjoy some of those visuals. I think they're really interesting. And, um, but yeah, just overall, I think it's a huge miss. There's one thing that bothers me about the series. He calls uh, pretty much every woman a bitch. He even says it to some of the guys. Now, he is a villain. That is, a, I mean, that's part of his character. It's not that that truly bothers me. It's what the audience feels when they hear him say that. It's kind of fucked up um, sexism, you know. They just want to hear him, oh, fuck you, bitch, I'll throw you, you know, like whatever. And they, they, they hoot and holler. That's kind of a messed up audience reaction. Yeah, I mean, it's partly a, a different time. I mean, like, jokes back in the 80, in 80s movies were really rapey. Like, if you watch Revenge of the Nerds, oh, that's a fuck. fucked up movie. The end of like, it? That, that yeah. could just be a horror movie or a thriller. Yeah, I didn't even think about it until recently when I was watching parts one and two. And the the second one, it's a little aggressive with his, uh, you know Booger, especially trying to like uh, constantly hit on women, but he never goes too far. But you look at the end of the first movie, and he does take advantage of her. She thinks she's having sex with Stan Gable, and he takes off his mask, and she's okay with it. That is only something yeah, you would just... see in the 80s. That was 100% rape, yeah. Yeah, it's it's messed up. And uh, for years, I didn't even catch that. And it's weird also, a lot of these movies have a lot of homophobia in them. Constantly, teenagers oh, are yeah. calling each other uh, uh, it's all sorts of insults that are homophobic. And it's so bizarre. Like, now, there's no way that would go by. Yeah, it's just a different landscape now, um, the way the movies are. I mean, it, it's kind of the same thing with the older James Bond movies. They're just sort of... a uh, just like a, a look back in time and like, oh, this is just what was acceptable in movies. Yeah. Um, six is the one that saved the franchise, sort of. Um, I think it's because it was the I big, agree. the big finale, you know, and everybody got excited by it. There's 3D, the special effects are cranked up. I think the acting and the direction is a lot better. I know people who hate part six because it is so, uh, Freddy's so wacky now. I mean, especially in the video game sequence. But oh, it's God. just kind of the evolution of the series. It was hard to stop that train by the time you got to part six and make it scary again. 
Right, but that's the thing that I love about that about that one in particular, and I agree. Yeah, I do think it sort of revived it for for a hot minute. Um, I I love that it opens with I, I think it was Friedrich Nietzsche. I think it was a Nietzsche quote, and then right after that was a quote that says "Welcome to prime time, bitch, Freddy Krueger." Like I love the just uh, that it really tried to make it more fun. You know, like. The, the fifth one tried to kind of balance the horror and comedy and just failed, and then this one just going full-on comedy. Yeah, the you got returns from Johnny Depp, you got cameos from Alice Cooper and Roseanne. It was an event movie, and New Line Cinema just took that, and you know, I was like, okay, well, we know what we have. Let's send them off the way we, you know, the best way we can. Yeah, and another uh, thing about this is they also did what I really liked about the series, is they changed... A little bit of how his powers work. So in this one, um, he basically has dominion over a certain area. So basically, he he can suck people into his world uh, through their dreams uh, only in like the specific area. So for him to be able to get people, he has to basically send people out to bring people back into his world. So yeah. it, it was kind of an interesting idea. I feel like there was a lot more thought put into his world. Plus the fact you finally get some more of his origin story. But this time it's not sympathetic. It's actually pretty horrifying. Um, and then the connection to his daughter. I really liked the, um, the dichotomy of the characters working together too. This is a group of kids you actually gave a shit about. They're good actors. And uh, they were fun uh, interactions with each other. Because the four and five, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you the difference between any of the actors. Well, yeah, well, with number five, I, I, I seriously can't remember anything about the fourth movie, except I think that Roseanne Arquette does some karate. No, she's in three. She's not even, yeah, she's not even in four. She didn't, or no, not Roseanne. Um, she, she was in uh, True Romance. Patricia. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, um, that one. I, I can't remember. Anyway, yeah. I can't remember anything about the, that one. The fifth one... All I remember is the comic book sequence I thought was done pretty well, but that's the only thing I can remember. Yeah, there's a little bit of that Labyrinth. I don't know if you've seen Labyrinth, but there's a, a sequence in Labyrinth where she's trying to find her brother. She's The Goblin King's kind of messing with her, and the worlds are turning inside out. It's like this weird M.C. Escher kind of look. Um, they, they, oh, do yeah, that, yeah. they do that in the fifth uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. They pull a little bit of that at weird angles. Like, where's Freddy? Where's she in this balance of this universe they're in? Mm-hmm. But six, yeah, six was an event. From, I was supposed to go see this with my friends. I wasn't allowed to watch R-rated movies yet. So I went and saw Ernest uh, Scared Stupid for the second time, even though I didn't like it the first time. But I thought, hey, I'll go see it again, and I'll stick around to watch Freddy's Dead. Nope. Yep, I had to immediately, in complete and absolute embarrassment, uh, get a ride home with my mother and my little sister. So, Nope. <laughs> Well, I mean, Ernest Scared Stupid. I mean, that's that's bad, but I mean, it's not it's not that bad. No, I mean, they be worse. Earth, you got Earth the Kit, and you got so you have some pretty cool creatures in it. I actually am a fan of the Ernest movies, uh, the first few, because I never thought of him as an idiot. He's just one of those guys that gets so caught up in whatever is going on in his head that he trips over himself, uh, either verbally or physically. He, he just finds himself like overwhelmed by whatever's going on in his brain. Yeah. I don't know why we took that sidetrack there. Okay, uh, so uh, the series took a break. We thought it was the end, and it kind of is, if you think about it. Um, New Nightmare reboots the entire idea, becomes meta. It was before, like, 
um, Truman Show and The Matrix and 13th Floor started playing with those worlds. It was like four years ahead of time. And I sat opening weekend in a very, very empty theater, and I thought the movie's phenomenal. I think it still holds up very well. Yeah, this is Wes Craven returned for this one, right? Yeah. This is a big comeback. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, pretty much everyone knows Wes Craven now is sort of the meta concept guy. I mean, he did the same thing with Scream and that entire series. Um, it was it was interesting to see uh, Freddy from this new perspective and. Not only that, but they kind of updated his look a little bit, which is a little kind of silly, sort of Phantom of the Opera style. But it really does work with his aesthetics. Uh, so I would say it's definitely a watch. Yeah, and it's, it's scary again. They finally made Freddy terrifying again. Yeah, no, I don't remember any one-liners <clears throat> or anything like that. Um, or at least I don't remember any puns that he did. Yeah, and it's, it's the least successful of the entire franchise, so it went to sleep for a good long time. Um, but then Jason versus Freddy, I know this was something that was in play for a long time because I went to the drive-in and I saw Jason goes to hell. Uh, I think I saw it with hard target. Um, uh, by the way, never see a oh. horror movie at the drive-in because you can't tell what in the hell is going on. Well, especially, uh, number, yeah, you know what, actually, I'm just going to say I, I love number nine. Is that the one? Is that Jason Goes to Hell, or is that the one in space? No, that's uh, Jason X is when he goes to space, okay. and when goes to hell. Um, you know, I didn't like it at the time, but I, I appreciate it later. I remember it got a lot of shit because it kind of ripped off other movies. There is a little bit of The Hidden. I don't know if you've seen that one, but there's a little bit of that where the, the alien transfers bodies. That's kind of weird that Jason goes from being a zombie, basically, after part six, to being, you know, uh, apparently a parasite that goes from person to person, and it's the spirit of Jason. I mean, yeah, whatever. That that's weird, but uh, yeah, I love. You know what? We'll talk about this when we get to yeah, it. Yeah. But I I I love the opening sequence, like the first ten minutes of that movie, just enraptures me. Um, so the movie ends. Jason is dragged down to hell. His mask is sitting in the sand, and Freddy's claw comes up and grabs it and pulls it down and laughs. So for years we waited for this. That was in '93, and New Line Cinema had purchased the rights of Jason from. Paramount, who were embarrassed, apparently, by the whole franchise. So, I know there was one point where I got really close. Kevin Yeager, the special effects master behind, like, uh, A Child's Play and, and other films around that time, um, he was supposed to direct. And he bailed, and I think someone else had stepped up, and, and it just kept being stalled and stalled and stalled over. But then Ronnie Yu had a big hit with Bride of Chucky and was given the reins for Jason versus Freddy. It's... A good and a bad movie because there's certain things that bug me. I don't like the Kung Fu Freddy. That's weird. Um, uh, I loved it. <laughs> it did? Okay. See, I didn't, I didn't know how I felt about that because I get it when he's in his world, but I don't get it when he's in our world. Yeah, um, there, there definitely is an inconsistency there. I like it because it's silly and over the top, but they kind of have to make him a little bit stronger, so at least there's... There's some semblance of some of a competition because if he just pulls him out and cuts his head off immediately, that's kind of a boring climax. That's true. I mean, we, they could they could they could make it work, yeah. uh, and they, in hindsight, they probably should have just did it that way. But I I, I kind of like how silly and over the top it is. There, we don't know that much about Freddy's background. Who knows? He might have been a martial arts master. I doubt it. But hey, we're just gonna throw that in there. Um, Slow mo. Yeah. There's two types of slow-mo out there. There is the kind that is done in post-production, and there's the kind that is done during filming. 
John Woo is the master of doing it during filming. That's why it's so smooth. If you do it in post yes. and it's on film, that's when it gets blurry, and I can't stand it. Are we talking about the part when he pulls off that girl's nose in slow motion? He does that, but like when he hits, who's that singer? She was in Destiny's Child. She uh, she gets hit and she goes flying backwards, but it's kind of blurry and it's almost slow mo. Um, I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, you know, she actually. This is the last time I saw in a horror movie where they brought up uh, homophobic slur. Um, that was in 2003 when she calls Freddy out for having the claws and she says the F word. Um, and, uh, I think that's the last time I ever heard that in a studio film because it's just too insulting and dangerous now. Yeah, I know. That's, isn't that, isn't that kind of weird? I mean, not to digress, but I find it kind of unusual that people are upset that a villain is being too villainous. It is, <laughs> it reminds me of, uh, the, the X-Men Apocalypse movie. Where like the advertising was Apocalypse choking Mystique, and it's like, how come there's how come there's violence? It's like it's an action movie. Yeah, well, I mean, they thought it was uh, promoting violence against women, and I didn't see that. What I saw was that she's a, a Jennifer Lawrence is one of the main characters. She's one of the main heroes, and she's a, a, a major name at that time. And I don't think it was trying to get you excited. Like the Hills Have Eyes. Look at the poster for the remake of Hills Have Eyes. It's purposely putting forward the idea that a woman is in danger. Uh, whether that's good or bad is not the question right now, but it's in comparison to Apocalypse. She is a hero. She goes into battle. That's the promotion of it. And mm -hmm. I think that was really overblown. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. Um, I, I, I would say that the advertising for this movie is amazing, and if you have the time, you should go check it out. Go to YouTube and look up Freddy vs. Jason, like, fight night uh, promotion. Because they basically do, like, a whole weigh-in and uh, commentary on each other. Like, it's, it's fantastic. They, they treat it like it's a boxing match. It's, gonna, it's hilarious. I'm going to go to that right now. i got to see that. I didn't know anything about this. Um, you know, if it wasn't for Freddy vs. Jason being so successful, do you think that we would have had Aliens vs. Predator? I don't know. I, I heard that was in pr uh, production for a long time, too. Um, it, it probably would have came out eventually. Maybe we should do a, a maybe we should do a show on that because I actually like that movie. Uh, yeah, I just don't like the second one too much. But there's a whole world of that whole Jason or sorry, uh, aliens and predator uh, conversation. I'm trying to look. I don't see what's it. What was it called again? The Jason versus Freddy. Way in there it is. I'm, 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 I'm going to play this at the end of the episode. I found it. Um, okay. Uh, it's got a great cast. I think it's one of the best uh, when it comes to finding the right actor. It's full-on Canadian, though. You, I mean, I know my Canadian actors. This is full-on Vancouver, uh, Maple Leaf, <laughs> everywhere. What is it? There was a chunk of time where it seemed like every movie was shot in Vancouver or Toronto. Uh, I don't know. I'm not very good at spotting Canadians. I'm getting better at it, at it but I'm still not very good. The, uh, I wonder if their dollar was really weak at the time and ours was super strong. Oh, by the way, Farkas is in this movie. He he's uh, the one in the Freddy's dream or the kid's dream where he has his uh, his wrist slit in the bathtub. That's right. Uh, Farkas from Christmas Story. What's his name? I well, he's also in the TV show Titus. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it was on for like four years, and he no, is very funny. Titus is one of the most fucked up network sitcoms I've ever seen in my life. Um, it's from the guy who produced Drew Carey, and which. Surprisingly, looking back on Drew Carey, it's a little heavy-themed at times. 
But uh, Christopher Titus was a guy who um, had a drunk, uh, sexist father, um, a crazy sister, a psychotic mother who actually killed one of her husbands. And the show just balances all this like suicide and drug addiction and really, really heavy themes. But at the same time, it's hilarious. And Fox didn't know what the hell to do with it, and it just survived based on fan bases. But he is his idiot brother. Oh, interesting. Uh, um, I would this? say the special effects definitely take a, a downturn uh, in this one because they kind of go for purely CGI in a lot of it, and it looks pretty bad. Yeah, they the say it, they say it costs thirty million dollars, but I get the feeling a lot of that was because of pre-production costs of getting all those scripts and having directors close. You know, every time they do that, they have to add that cost into the budget. So the movie could be in production for ten, or pre-production for 10 years. All of that money is going towards the budget. So sometimes you hear the movie's $50 million, and you look, you're like, what the hell happened? That's what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the uh, I really like this scene, but it looks terrible in retrospect. Uh, it's... <laughs> Uh, this is the scene where Freddy Krueger basically is like this weird caterpillar thing and takes a, a bomb rip with the stoner character. I mean, that that's just that's just pure 100% entertainment. It's it's amazing. Okay, first and I, off, I also, yeah. another... he, he's a dumbass, by the way. He knows what danger they're in. He decides he's going to get high. Fuck him. He deserves to die. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I really liked about that, too, is, again, it, it, it expands on the concept that he has the ability... Uh, to enter people through their dreams and then be able to control them, so, uh, which was kind of a callback to the second one, except yeah. in the second one he can physically come through their bodies or whatever. In this one, he can he can control their actions. I, and again, I, I love they try to expand the mythos and um, do something new with it. Um, so, was he actually asleep, or does the weed open up some sort of doorway that Freddy can get in? Because you're in a you know like a certain like subdued state. I think he was smoking weed and then fell asleep. Okay, because I was like, man, if I take Benadryl, does that make me open for Freddy taking over my body? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, another, yeah, we talked we talked a little bit about this earlier, but I love their adherence to detail. So one of the things, the, the key things is that each of them has their own strength and weakness, and they try to exploit it as much as possible. So I love that the, the point of... Freddy is trying to get Jason to go to sleep because then when Jason's asleep, he has no power. And Freddy can do whatever he wants to him, which uh, happens in the movie. He controls the stoner character to inject Jason with um, whatever it is to knock him out. And then the teenagers... And then uh, Jason wants to kill the teenagers, but they have to basically wake him up so that he won't die so that he can kill Freddy. (laughs) So there's like this huge conflict of interest going on where they... Or, like, everything is balanced just so that there's always tension going on. So I, I love that. It's funny. Jason, in essence, is kind of a sympathetic character. There are certain elements that you see here and there, like his fear of water. Um, He's basically the hero of the movie, really. Yeah, except he hacks up teenagers. Most of these teenagers, though, are fucking douchebags. <laughs> like the two idiots out in the field yeah. or whatever that just make a fun of, Hey, you dumb shit, redneck. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just a bunch of douche bros, so I don't really feel bad when they get cut in half. No, uh, yeah, so I guess he's a hero, because there's no way to really see Freddy as, as a sympathetic character. I think the director did a fantastic job of doing something that seems really challenging, like taking these two franchises with huge mythos and putting them together, and, and each series has huge fans, so you can't have Freddy just kicking the shit out of Jason, and you can't have J- Jason overwhelming Freddy. So 
once one was to kind of get an upper hand, the script was clever in finding a way for making a guy small like Freddy to outwit Jason, and Jason, you know, finding a way to outmaneuver Freddy. Yeah. Um, so I would say this is probably, um, I would say, my third favorite. For me, it would go uh, Freddy 2 is my favorite, and then the first one, and then probably this one, and then number three. Yeah, mine is uh, the first one, New Nightmare, Dream Warriors. Yeah. All right, so that is the end of it for our series uh, on Nightmare on Elm Street. We're not going to discuss the remake because, frankly, I have complete and absolute amnesia to that boring fucking film. Uh, sometime I don't we'll... have any interest in seeing it, and I haven't seen it. So, uh, so the, I heard they're going to try to remake it again with Kevin Bacon as um, Freddy. Yeah, I mean, I can see it. Um, but I whatever yeah uh, you know there was supposed to be a sequel to Jason versus Freddy with Ash oh what the fuck how did this not get made uh, Sam Raimi would not sign off the script was written they were ready to go they had everything lined up even Bruce Campbell I believe was signed they just needed Sam Raimi to sign off because he owns the rights to Evil Dead and he had other ideas for the character that he didn't want to put it in there. But it is available as a comic, I believe, from Dynamite Press. I think Dynamite. Um, so the story is out there. But, man, I got to tell you, I would love to see Ash just take on these two guys. He's come back to life seven times. Hailing from Elm Street, the man with the killer right hand, the Springwood Slasher, Freddy. Jason, there's been a, a great deal of controversy about your training methods. How do you respond to that? No comment. Doesn't matter. Can't you speak for yourself, hockey puck? Senior Freddy, what do you anticipate will be your most difficult challenge in fighting Jason? Waiting to see if this Goldie here can find the ring. your ability to speak and thus talk trash gives you a distinct advantage in intimidating Jason before your big fight. I don't need no stinking distinct advantage. If Mama's boy here, he's big, he's dumb, he's slow, he's stupid, and he ain't got no style. 
Place your bets, people. She in the ring, Voorhees. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Those are the official odds. Jason is a two to three favorite over Freddie, who is seven to five as an underdog. Security. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the press conference, I believe, is over at this time. We thank you for coming to Battles Las Vegas. Don't forget, it's going to be the rumble between Freddie versus Jason. Oh!